Honk, honk. Shorty McCabe at the Wheel by Sewell Ford. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. 1. Say, I've got it all right. No, not the maiden joyminy measles or the pip, but something most as common. More than that, I'm glad of it. All that bothers me now is just when it was I swallowed the bug. The best I can do is to trace it all back to that combination of Zenus and Mr. Tidwell. The only line you need on Zenus is that he was a bacon-tinted gent from the West Indies that Sadie hired by the month to run her car. Excuse me if I don't dwell on Zenus. Sadie's managed to pick some mighty punk specimens of the Shuffer tribe first and last, and we've had our troubles with them. But this St. Thomas Island party with the breakfast meat complexion had more curly black hair on his head and less gray matter underneath the skull than any two-legged article of his size I ever saw outside of a cage. Add to that a lazy streak that was bone deep and a chronic case of sulks, and maybe you won't wonder why Zenas didn't hold his job longer. What got me so grouchy on him, though, was because we didn't even have the satisfaction of firing him. About once a week regular, we threatened to tie the can to Zenus, and it was a pleasure I was kind of saving up and looking forward to. And then one day, just as Sadie was ready to make a train for town, having notified Mr. Zenus an hour before, up comes word that he's quit. Mother Whaley brings in the bulletin. What's that? says Sadie. Why didn't he say so when I paid him this morning? Why, the, the... Never mind thinking up any fancy pet names, Sadie, says I. You couldn't do the subject justice. Just wait until I go out there and unlimber a few of the bottled-up remarks I've been keeping in so long. But Zenas has counted on that, and all there is left to remind us of him is an old cap and some empty cigarette boxes. And there's the big limousine standing there just waiting for someone that knew how to touch her off. Also, the train was due in six minutes. Sadie's followed me out to remind me of that. It's a pity you can't run a car, Shorty, says she. Yes, or play the zither, or walk a slack wire, says I. And think how handy I'd be around the house if I added practical plumbing and shoe cobbling to my other accomplishments. Oh, I passed it off light and easy enough, and we phones for a depot hack to take her to the next train. But somehow, the remark sort of lingered. It didn't worry me so much at the time, but every now and then it would bob up and I'd think it over. 2. Then a few mornings later, as I was piking down to the station, I hears this small-sized riot going on in the front yard of Mr. Tidwell, a neighbor that has the cute little stucco cottage four houses down the road from us. Of course, I hangs up along the hedge and gops over to see what's going on. And there's Tidwell, planted behind the steering wheel of a brand new shiny touring car, just out of the shop. Foist off, I thought he was trying to yank the steering post out by the roots. But then I sees he's trying to turn the thing around in the driveway without climbing the shade trees or damaging the shrubbery. He seems to have plenty of help, for Mrs. Tidwell and the two maids and the Italian who cuts his grass was all strung out around the lawn shouting at him, each one offering a different piece of advice as to what he ought to do next. Back up some more, lovely, sings out Mrs. Tidwell, waving her arms. Plenty of room ahead to the right, sir, hollers one of the maids. 
Well, I had to grin. You would, too, if you'd seen the desperate look on Tidwell's face as he grips that wheel and stares from one to the other. He's one of these thin, washed-out, soft-spoken spectacle gents, Tidwell is. He's the lace expert for some big department store, so Sadie says, and he looks about as well qualified for the job he's tackled as a speckled hen trying to hatch out a setting of kitchen alarm clocks. First, he fumbles with one of the side levers and gets the engine to going like a steamroll drill. Then he tries another, and the machine gives a lunge forward that almost butts one of the maids into the geranium bed. I watches the circus until I hears the 817 express whistle before breaking into a trot for the station. And the last glimpse I had of Tidwell, he was mixed up with a lawn swing and a lilac bush, and the Italian was trying to climb a tree. I hear Tidwell has a car, says one of the commuters as I drops into the smoker. He had, up to three minutes ago, says I, but the prospects are that he'll finish the week with some scrap iron and a few splinters. Say, I'm coming home early to watch him perform. Honest, the thoughts of him kept me chuckling most of the day, and that afternoon on the back trip I speculated all the way out on what his place must be looking like by then. I walks up to the post road with my grin all set to spring, when all of a sudden I hears a horn honk behind me, and the next thing I know, along sails Tidwell in his new car, bent a little forward with a stranglehold on the wheel and his eyes bugged out like a couple of peeled onions, but driving along at a twenty-mile clip and keeping in the middle of the road. He's all alone, too. Well, I'll be dipped in glue, says I, or words to that effect think of it. Tidwell. You know how you're apt to size up a man for a weak sister and suspect him of being one of the kind that lets his wife buy his neckties? Why well, hadn't credited Tidwell with having any more spine than a piece of pickled tripe, and as far as his having nerve enough to run an automobile all by himself, well, it was one on the plexus for me. Of course, you see all sorts of people handling steering wheels from ten-year-old kids up but somehow I always looked on it as kind of a freak trick, like being able to walk on your hands or wiggling your ears. But Tidwell! And the funny anecdote about him I'd framed up the hand of Sadie was put on ice. I didn't even mention Tidwell. 3. Then, was it fate or just my feet that took me for a stroll up around Columbus Circle the next afternoon? Anyway, I forgot how I happened to stray so far uptown. All I know is, I was walking around towards Broadway when I hears someone sing out, Hey, shorty old sport! And as I whirls around, up the curb glides a slick little red roadster, and I discovers Mr. Cecil Slattery shoving out the glad hand. How are they coming, says he? In bunches, Slat, says I. I expect you're getting them in carload lots as usual. Yes, yes, brother, says he. I'm one of the busy little honey-gatherers, you know, and the world is my clover-top. Yes, I know, says I, and the parties you light on generally get stung. Haw-haw, says Cecil, letting it out free and joyful. That's him all the time, one of the smoothest, choikiest, noiviest young gents that you can find along Gasoline Row, which is saying a good deal. Five or six years ago, Slat was assistant wiper on one of these second-hand automobile garages, with grease on him from his red hair down to his run-over heels, 
and he knew just enough about machinery to choose a head off a nut with a Stilson wrench and wear a pair of overalls that would stand alone. He was cussed and kicked around by everyone in the place, but he kept on coming back with that impudent grin of his and monkeying with broken-down old oil-eaters, until he got so he knew the insides of different makes, like the Tammany leader knows his wards. It wasn't until he was promoted to salesman, though, that Slat's talents got full swing. Why, he's admitted to me himself that he's booked more orders than any other three men on the row. And to see him now, in his college-cut clothes and his natty straw hat and his lemon-colored silk shirt with the toyned-back cuffs, you'd never suspicion he used to wear my old sweaters. What brand of speed destroyer is that you got there, I says. Is it another triumph of the century top-notcher, Niplu Ulster, eh? Well, says Slat, kind of hesitating, it's a fine little car for the money, but I wouldn't want to say it was the best ever. I'd call it a good second, though. What, says I, gasping, you and a machine that don't lay over anything that ever run on rubber? Are you joshing, or have you got paralysis of the tongue? Maybe, though, it belongs to somebody else. No, it was his machine, one he'd been using for a demonstrator all the spring, a present from the president of the company after he'd toined in his one hundred and first order. But the fact of the matter was, he was changing forms. It seems he'd just signed a contract with another concern that put out a really high-grade, classy line, and although he wouldn't take on a new job until he came back from his little trip abroad, he'd already begun to hedge on his patter. Of course, says Slat, for a medium-price machine, this leads the list, and... But right there he stops, and I notices his eyes narrow down thoughtful. Say, Shorty, he goes on smooth as butter, do you want to pick up this little beauty off the bargain counter? Ah, throwing your revoice, says I. I'm no clover blossom slat. Besides, what would I do with it? Put it in the parlor? Why not use it to boing gasoline with, says he. Out of my line, says I. I couldn't any more run the thing than a frog can fly. You got hands and feet, haven't you, says he. Yes, but they ain't trying to do monkey stunts, says I. Give him a course, then, says he. No use, slat, says I. The machinery and juggling talents don't run in our family. And I takes it you've got to have a little of both to manipulate one of them hustle wagons. I couldn't loin in a month of wash days. So, says he, well, you just jump in here with me. Said the spider to the fat blue bottle, eh? I breaks in. Gwan, you red-headed he-siring, you. Think you can yogi me into buying something I ain't got no more use for than a parrot has for tooth powder? Now that's all right, shorty, says he, putting on an injured air. You got a right to your suspicions, and they do me credit. But this is once where you're running down your signals. Huh? says I. And then? Do you suppose for a moment, he goes on, that I would try to unload anything on you that you didn't want? Why, you and I have known each other for... There, there, slat, says I. Don't overwork the tear ducts. What might be this sudden spasm you're struggling with? Why, says he, looking sort of sad and crushed, I simply want to show you where you're mistaken about having a subnormal intelligence. You say you can't loin to run a car. I'd like to prove that you can, that's all. Well, 
I ain't one to blight the happiness and peace of mind of a fella being so careless and casual as all that. Slat, says I, cheer up. I'm going to give you a chance to do your worst. So with that, I climbs into the empty bucket seat beside him, and off we goes up to Riverside Drive. 4. As we hums along, swinging in and out of the trolley tracks, grazing a truck here and a streetcar there, Slack gives me a rapid-fire lecture on how it's done. Got me kind of interested, too, and before we strikes the Manhattan viaduct, I had the whole program by heart. You know that new piece they've added to the drive up beyond 157th Street? We just got straightened out on that when he jams on his brake, fetches up with the engine still throbbing, and slides out from behind the wheel. Here now, says he, you do it. Eh, says I, me? You got a fifty-foot roadway all to yourself, says he. Why not try? Honest, I was ashamed to let on how chilly my feet had gone all of a sudden, so I slips into his place and he takes mine. Now, let's see, says I, running over the directions out loud. You push forward on this side thingamabob, put your foot on that left pedal, and bring this handle back a few notches. As I said over the lesson, I went through the motions, and before I knew what was happening, the machine begins moving right under me. I chokes down a gasp, bugs my eyes out, and takes a death grip on that steering wheel. First we does a dive to the right, then a swoop to the left like a pink seagull with a jag on. Easy, easy, says Slat, kind of soothing. This is no serpentine course. Whirl it gently. And don't hold it so hard. It won't get away from you. Little more gas now. That's it. You're doing fine. Maybe I was, but every nerve and muscle in me was strung as tight as a piano wire. I'd always thought the drive had a good deal of width to it, but just then it looks as narrow as a footpath. Say, ain't there some hundred-acre parade ground handy where I can finish this lesson, says I? I... I don't want to mar the scenery any along here. Oh, you're all right, says Slat. Throttle low for this downgrade. Instead of throttling down, though, I must have throttled up, for we begins to shoot down that little hill as if we was on a roller coaster. But Slat reaches over and slows her up just in time to let me round a curve on two wheels. Now let's see you stop just beyond that tree, says he. What? says I. Stop her, says he. You're going to run over a man or into a wagon. Now stop. Say, we stopped all right. I grabbed all the levers I could at once and jammed down on all the foot pedals I could find. Oh, yes, we stopped. I come near keeping right on over the dash, but the wheel caught me in the bread basket and set me back solid with my wind gone. Slap must have been looking for some such act, for he had his feet braced. Fine, says he, real sarcastic, especially for the tires. You've killed your engine, too. The blame thing got what it deserved, then, says I. Crank up and try that again, says Slat. Only do it this time the way I told you. So I gets out and begins toying the front handle. Say, ever notice how easy most of them shuffers can whirl that thing? Well, I've got some little right-arm ginger myself but I sure was red in the face by the time I'd given the crank three or four turns, and all that comes from the machine is kind of a low holler cough, like it was in the last stages. Perhaps you'd have better luck if you turned your spark first, says Slat, springing his grin on me.
Ah, say, says I, what a humorous kid you are. But I pushes over the button and with another toy I had a humming. Next time he told me to make the stop, I did it more careful. But at that I must have missed something, for just as we fetches up more or less gentle, the engine goes out of business again. What's your right foot doing on that pedal, says Slat? I thought I told you three times how to... I know, says I. I got a brain like a cup custard. Ever have to put your tail down like that and own up what a thick thatch you've got? Honest, if I'd been a school kid being jacked up for forgetting his lesson, I couldn't have felt any cheaper. And nobody'll ever guess how much I wanted to quit the game. But I couldn't. If you know what to do, Slat goes on, why the thunder don't you... It's this way, Slat, says I. My head knows it, but my feet don't. Not yet. I've got to educate him a little more. If you're willing to take the chances, though, I'm going to loin to run this blasted machine right here. If I don't, I'll buy it off you and boin it on the dump. That's the way to talk, says Slat. Get you mad up, and then you'll do it. 5. Well, sir, that's the right dope. I don't know how it come to me or when I pass the butterfingered stage, but I sets my teeth hard, puts my mighty intellect on the job, and inside of an hour I was doing the trick, running her along as straight as if she'd been on rails, slowing up, stopping, backing, and even turning around. All the way on the retoying trip down the drive, it was me held the wheel, and before we struck Broadway again, I was leaning back against the cushions in the cockiest style you could imagine. Now, I try to cut the chesty business, as a rule, but here I was at it, good and hard. Just the feeling of that steering wheel under my hands and seeing how tame I got all that machinery set me up so that I can almost feel my shirt getting tight across the front. It was great! I ain't had any such sensations since I was a youngster. Well, says Slat, as we gets back to Gasoline Row. It's too bad you're not in the market for a machine, for this one would fit you down to the ground. I don't say anything to that, but I hops out and walks around, rubbing my hands over the polished gas lamps and poking at the tires and looking mighty wise. And the more I sized her up, the better she looked to me. Think I'm exploit enough to run her out home this afternoon, says I. Why, you could take her as far as Boston if you wanted to, says he. All you need now is practice. Of course, if you don't care to buy, I suppose I can... As a friend, Slat, says I, about how much more would you stand me up for than if I was a stranger? I knew I was a goner, so I thought I might as well show my hand. Maybe he stuck me and maybe he didn't. Anyway, I writes my check right there on the wheel, and after I'd had some oil and gasoline put in her and bought my license numbers, I starts for rock hoist on the sound. No use going into details about that trip. I knew the road fairly well, having gone over it in other bubbles, so I didn't get off the track. I had a few close shaves, but getting through them all right only made me chestier than ever. And all I could think of in the back of my nut was what a surprise party I was going to spring on Sadie when she sees me rolling all alone, handling the wheel myself. Say, I had that tableau mapped out seven different ways across the board. First it was with Sadie discovered at the upper window, expecting to see me come hoofing it up the walk and waving joy signals to me with both arms. 
Then I had her on the veranda and almost fallen backwards in a rocker at the sight. Maybe some of the neighbors would be there to help her throw a fit. The only times I had a chilly feeling along my spine was when the horrible thought struck me. What if she shouldn't be on hand at all and miss my grand entrance? 6. She was there, though. As I turned in through our front gates, I seized her out in the lawn with little Sully and his perambulator. Honk, honk, says I, getting busy with the horn and speeding up a little extra. Why, why, shorty, she squeals after one look. I just grins and locates the spot where I'd meant to take my grandstand finish and step out to receive the plaudits of the family. There's a little latticework summer house just to the left of the drive, and I'd framed it up that the stop just in front of that would make a good picture. All I did, too, was give one twist of my head and wave a hand at Sadie. But that was one frill too many. The next thing I knew, I'd made a swing to the left. I hears a great cracking and splintering of wood. And hanged if I don't find that I got a dinky summer house affair up on the radiator hood, with the machine making full tilt at a big maple tree less than a dozen feet away. Funny how quick things can happen in an automobile, ain't it? I had just sense enough left to jerk back the emergency brake and bring her up with one of the gas lamps barely grazing the bark. Then I shuts off the engine and begins to hear some of the things Sadie is shouting at me. Why, what did you do that for, shorty? says she, running up. That, says I, pointing at the hood decoration. Oh, just for practice. Practice, says she. Sure, says I. Thought that summer house might be a cute place to keep the machine in. But it don't quite fit, does it? Of course, Sadie didn't let me get away with any such jolly as that. And the grand ovation I'd counted on somewhere missed fire. All she said was, when I explained how this was my own private machine, that I'd bought all by myself and meant to run back and forth from town in, You better get someone to drive it for you, shorty. Then it will last longer. Ha! Huh, think so? says I. Well, see here, Sadie. I want you to understand that I'm going to handle that machine myself. Maybe there's a few stunts I ain't up on yet, but I'll get them if I have to boin up all the gasoline you could load on a lighter. Why, before I get through, I'm going to have that car so it'll stand on its hind legs and eat sugar out of my hand. No, I ain't quite reached that point yet, nor I ain't been pinched for busting the speed limit, and I haven't begun cutting notches on the cover of my coil box. But I've scorched my fingers on a hot sparking plug, and I've got pump blisters on my palms, so I guess I'm coming on. Anyway, I can look at Tidwell now without gritting my teeth. End of Honk Honk, Shorty McCabe at the Wheel by Sewell Ford Recording by Scotty